All right. Well, we're going to jump into a little bit of a new category, a new uh, subject to focus on from the book of Proverbs today. And it's the subject of uh, really the, the wisdom and virtue of work as contrasted with the tragic folly of the sluggard, uh, the slothful person. Um, and, you know, I, I came across this, this uh, statistical study, or this statistical summary, really. Uh, it's just entitled Procrastination Statistics. And uh, just to let you know where I am on this whole front, um, I wanted to put this study off as long as possible. Um, if, if, you have to, if you have to be a master at everything you teach, I need a volunteer to come up and take over because I am, I am a, I'm a very astute and skillful procrastinator, very sophisticated procrastinator, I might say. But let's just listen to some of these uh, statistics. Um, statistics show that procrastination affects over 20% of the population. I would say it's probably higher than that. Some, some people just haven't got around to responding to the survey yet. Um, according to some researchers, procrastination has more than quadrupled in the last 30 years. In 1978, 5% of the population admitted to being chronic procrastinators compared to roughly 26% of the population today. Among students, a survey of students, a student population suggests that procrastination is pervasive, with some surveys suggesting that 85 to 95 percent of students have problems associated with procrastination. Uh, I'm not sure what, how I explain my, my problem. I'm not a student anymore. But anyway, procrastination statistics suggest that 40 percent of people have experienced financial loss due to procrastination. One out of five people... Um, procrastinate so badly that it may be jeopardizing their jobs, their credit, their relationships, and even their health. Um, I'm not sure how to pronounce this gentleman's or woman's first name. It's an unusual first name, but I'll just say Professor Steele, a human resources professor at the University of Calgary's Haskane School of Business, stated that 95% of the population procrastinates at times, with 20% being chronic offenders. Now, here's something interesting. Uh, among students, this is another survey among students, uh, college students, 57% said they feel a mix of liking procrastination because it gives them a rush and disliking it because it makes them feel stressed. <laughs> 43% of the same student groups uh, surveyed admitted that procra- uh, they procrastinate because they've done it for so long that it becomes second nature to them. According to the same study, 60% of students procrastinate more for papers than for other assignments. And students say, 71% of students say they procrastinate more for general ed classes than for other classes. And 95% said that that procrastination is a problem for the majority of college students. So obviously among the student population, procrastination is a very pronounced problem. Uh, Regarding the negative impact on life, an online survey by... There's something for everything. By the Procrastination Research Group, <laughs> posed the question, to what extent is procrastination having a negative, negative impact on your happiness? Of the 2,700 responses, 46% said quite a bit or very much, and 18% claimed uh, extreme negative effect. Obviously, you know, when you think about this, you look at other, other uh, studies, um, 374 undergraduates found that students who put things off were more likely to eat poorly, sleep less, drink more, 
than students who do their homework properly. Uh, causes uh, uh, procrastination causes can be linked to anxiety, depression, compulsive disorder, attention deficit, memory loss. So just this whole area of you know one of the ca- characteristics of sloth or the sluggard that we'll see in Proverbs is this whole area of, of procrastination or really just not doing what needs to be done at the time it needs to be done. And, and really, it's, it's interesting when you look in Proverbs, you look in Scripture, or if you just think about it practically in our own lives, um, we often substitute what we are supposed to do when we're supposed to do it for what we think we want or what we think we crave or desire, we think will give us some kind of pleasure or joy or satisfaction. And it, it, it isn't in, invariably true that it ends up burning us in the end. I mean, even in the simplest ways, even in the most non-sort of morally, you know, challenging or tragic ways. It's just that the fact that the matter is, is that, that uh, this whole area of diligence, of faithfulness to a task, of, of wisdom as it relates to work and taking care of our responsibilities, once again, God's Word, God's created purposes prove to be transcendently true that as we carry, about, uh, carry out our assigned responsibilities, we work diligently, that God is faithful to provide, provide peace and provide health and all these different practical, spiritual benefits associated with something as basic as work and working diligently. But let's kind of think about this and, and build this out a little bit more before we jump into some passages of Scripture and really think about this from the standpoint of God's Word. But let's talk about this from the standpoint of uh, some observations about our, our current culture, how, some observations we might have about characteristics of our culture um, that you would think could sort of naturally either contribute to or, or facilitate or foster an increase in general sort of laziness or procrastination or sloth or however you want to sort of describe that? What are some things about our culture that you think would just make that natural and, and possible and not hard to believe or understand? Entertainment. Entertainment. It's a big one, right? Think about how many of you um, grew up in a more agricultural environment where, you know, farming and working, you know, in the fields or whatever? Yeah. I mean, think about that. I mean, can you imagine the time that you did not have to invest in sort of frivolous things? I mean, it just wasn't there. Your livelihood depended upon you being out there working. My uh, grandfather, my mom's dad, my mom grew up on a farm with a lot of siblings, and um, I, I grew up going out there in the summers and and actually tried my hand at a few different things, very, very poorly, um, a few different farming tasks. But, you know, it was always amazing to me, the thing that was, you know, it was kind of a novelty to, to wake up. My brother and I would be at the farm, you know, in the summer, and, and we would want to be woken up by our grandfather at like five in the morning because he always had this, my, my grandmother always prepared this great breakfast. I mean, he had to, he had to eat hearty, right, because he didn't go out and be in the fields. It's going to be a hard, hard working day. And so we wanted that eggs and bacon and grits and toast and whatever else she whipped up. And, and there was just something really um, interesting and, and compelling about him getting up that early, 
being ready to go to work and eating that big breakfast. And then we end up going out there with them at some point along the way and trying our hand at, you know, I've broken okra and I've tried to pull some tobacco leaves and, you know, just made a mess of things, I'm sure. We've gotten plenty of, we got plenty of trucks stuck in the fields and all that. But, but the fact of the matter is, is that you, when you observe that kind of work up close and you see that and then you compare it to sort of what is the more prevailing work life, and how it's so centered around, we basically work, I mean, in our culture, I should say, not necessarily all of us here, this is not all of our ethic, but in general, our culture, we work so that we can then pursue our pleasures, right? We, the, the work is a means to another end. The work that we do is a means for us to gratify our desires, our pleasures, our entertainment interests, um, our, our various, you know, hobby pursuits, whatever it might be, travel, these things that we, you know, enjoy, it becomes a means to an end. Now, what are some other things aside from entertainment that you think would make it easy or natural for um, laziness to become more of an epidemic issue in our day and time? How about Technology about the access that we have to entertainment, but also just to, I mean, you don't have to, I mean, think about the time that we have to invest in things now to get at what we want versus what you would have to do in days past in the most simplest of ways. Um, I remember when I first started out in business, I was, I was in sales in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and I had a, I had a book, it was called Mapco, and it was this ring binder, and it was, a, it was this full of maps of the entire Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex area. And if I wanted to find a business, I mean, I'm thumbing through. So just the time that you have to spend and invest, I mean, there's a work element there just to figure out where you're going to go to meet with a client, that kind of thing. So just think about the nature of, of our society and how it's changed and how technology is, has made this whole area of, of just being lazy, just a, a mindset of, oh, I can get to that, or it's so easily accessible, I'll look it up later, or whatever. Just It creates, I think, a subtle dullness of diligence in, in our psyche, in our sort of our collective societal psyche. Um, the other thing I would think of, and this coincides with technology and entertainment, but um, this whole, the, the whole impact that all of this has on our ideas about... Um, about life and living life, there's a lot more virtual life being lived now than real life than ever before, whether it's through gaming or whether it's through social media endeavors. Uh, we are more oriented toward creating images of life rather than actually doing the work of living life. In fact, um, uh, it's, I'll share kind of a personal story, and I, I, I Alicia, correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm tying this together without knowing for sure I got all the facts right. But I just remember yesterday, um, uh, I, I saw my, my daughter had posted a little Snapchat video where she was, with, she was with some friends up at college, and they were at a bonfire, you know, doing s'mores and everything. And, and you would think that this was, this was the most idyllic setting possible for her to have this, you know, college evening out, you know, you got a bunch of college kids around a bonfire and they're making s'mores and it's a cool, chilly night and it's just the smoke and the fire and the warmth and the friendship and the camaraderie. But the very next day, I'm overhearing 
Alicia on a call with her, and she's talking about how, you know, later on that night, some guys were wrestling, and they fell on her, and her leg got caught somewhere, and she hurt her leg, and she can't walk very well. So, like, the reality of how that night went was so not as pristine as that brief image. So, I think it just, you just think about how our mindset is being affected by these kinds of ideas about life and leisure and you know, enjoyable pursuits. And the fact of the matter is, is that that's not real life at all. Real life is comprised of a need for diligence and work. And scripture does not put forward this idea of work as being just a means to an end. Yes. Well, I don't know the exact tie-in between laziness and procrastination. But concerning laziness, I think the mindset in our um, society today is that we are owed a living. Yeah. That there is a uh, dependency upon someone else, typically government, to give us uh, the, even the basic necessities of life, whether we exert the effort to earn that or not. Right. Yeah. So, so there's the whole this the whole sort of social political impact of of an entitlement type of society, an entitlement mindset of things, and that's certainly. Uh, more prevalent today than I think it's ever been in our country's history, for sure. And that, that definitely, um, that, that has a, uh, this is a multi-generational effect. We're going to, I mean, we're going to, we're in this for a while. I mean, this is, uh, there, there's, there's, I think there's some tough sledding ahead for our country economically and from a standpoint of innovation and all these different things. So we switch to a play first, work later. Attitude. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Because the fact of the matter is, is that we, we, have to, we have to make sure that we keep our social media postings up. I mean, we got to have something to post, right? You got to have, I mean, you got to let all your followers know that you're actually living this robust, thrilling life. So, anyway. One other thought I had when you were talking about the technology, too. One thing I've noticed for me is it's so easy to get caught up in all these other initiatives of, of things we're so much more global now and we know about every single thing going on around the world right you feel this pressure to be concerned and be involved and do all you can for that to the point that i've found i'm neglecting my work here like the work right in front yeah. of me and so i think that's another thing about technology is yeah think of the subtlety of that i mean the, the fact that you just i mean I, i've i've had that thought too about how just you know how the ubiquitous nature of of just I don't just news media, just information about what's going on everywhere, and all the calamities, and all the problems, and all the tragedy that just you know we, we're cons- massive consumers of that like never before, and it can become a huge either mental or emotional distraction, or even an actual physical distraction if we're devoting our attention to it and neglecting other things. It can cause discouragement and anxiety and depression, so you don't have the energy or the, you know, the, the sort of the stamina to do the work at hand. I mean, all these different things, you just kind of put it, start piecing it all together, and you can see we're living in a day and time where there's a lot of things that are really assaulting this principle of work. And I just would like to kind of remind us, and I don't think that you guys really need to be reminded, but for the sake of just kind of continuing to build our context here, that work is given to us as a gift and a blessing from God. That's what it is. It's, it's not something that is just a means to an end. It's not a necessary evil for us. It's not something that's getting in the way of our happiness or our 
leisurely pursuits, but it's a, it's a gift. It's a, it's a blessing. It is a created enterprise that God intended pre-fall in the garden. Just to read Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and to keep it. So work became more laborious. We have thorns and thistles. We have the curse that's affected the nature of our work. But the fact of the matter is, is that work in and of itself is not some you know, curse that, God, that we're having to live in. That's not, that's not Genesis 3. It's not that, okay, you didn't have to work before, now you have to work because you sinned. It's just that the work is now more laborious and it's riddled with the corruption, the effects of the corruption of the, the world and the physical world and our sin and our flesh and, and so on. I would also add that work, as you look, for example, in passages in the New Testament, work is a testimony of our devotion to Christ. Colossians 3, to 24 says, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ in your work. Work is a part of God's sovereign, eternal decree in our salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And those good works don't necessarily mean just works of like spiritual virtue. You know, like bearing one another's burdens or serving and using our gifts in the body of Christ. It encompasses everything that we do as unto the Lord. We're His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. This is the context. Before time began, this is a part of God's eternal decree in, in saving us. He prepared these works beforehand that we should walk in them. You were going to say something? Oh, I was just reminded about when we're in heaven, we'll be working 24-7. Yeah. You'll have endless energy. I mean, there's, you know, you talk about a rest, but it's probably a rest in the fact that you're doing what you're made to do. That's right. That's, your, that's right. There's not a, uh, I mean, that's amazing. How are we going to serve God? I mean, yeah. Does he have any needs? But ultimately he's designed. I mean, it's the alternative, and just to go on a sightseeing tour, that would be boring. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yes? One comment about the Colossians 3 passage that you read, Richard, is that this command to work heartily, to do it as unto the Lord, is not given to employees. It's not given to entrepreneurs. It's given to slaves. And a slave typically receives very little remuneration for his work except room and board. But if a slave is to work with all of his heart, if he is to be happy and productive and to work his slavery for the Lord, then how much more? How much more so? As voluntary um, employees That's right. or you know, business owners work uh, happily and, and enthusiastically. That's a great point. That's a great point. When we come to Proverbs, um, what we see in Proverbs is that work is this righteous virtue with very practical blessings associated with it. 
that work in Proverbs is, um, there's a lot of focus, obviously, on the, the practical benefits or blessings associated with work. And, you know, we can see this, that this is just normal and natural. I mean, if you don't work, then you won't make money and you might not be able to eat. I mean, you can, we can all sort of carry out that logic. And so there's a lot of Proverbs that are really dealing with just the practical implications of this, but it's also tied to wisdom and virtue, as a driver, as, an, as a motivating factor. So let's just, let's just sample a few verses uh, in Proverbs about work, and then we'll go to our contrast and look at this tragic figure, the sluggard, in Proverbs. Uh, we'll just start with Proverbs chapter 10. I'll just kind of go uh, in, six, in uh, chronological order. And I, this, again, this is a sample. Um, there's certainly others that we could go to, but this is just a sample. But Proverbs 10, verses 3 to 5. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry. So there you have righteousness put into the context of this whole subject. He does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. So again, you have this mixture of, of virtue and practical consequence, quite practical outcome. Proverbs 12, verse 11, and then I'm going to skip to verse 14, and then verse 24. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. From the fruit of his mouth a man is satisfied with good, and the work of a man's hand comes back to him. The hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. Labor. So you have this mixture here of the fruit of his mouth. So, so the, the man's speech, what flows out of him in speech, which is really an indicator of what's in his heart, is put into this context also of his work and his work ethic and the diligence that he exercises that with. Proverbs 13, verse 11. <coughs> Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Very practical uh, um, proverb here about steadiness, um, and it's really in contrast to the tendency of the fool, um, and even the tendency of the, the sluggard by definition to want the easy path, want rapid, quick, easy gain of wealth or riches. Um, and as we all know, even, even in our day and time, in our culture, and this has been true in time of memoriam, that it's the steady hand, it's the one who puts their hand to the plow and works day in and day out diligently. That's where sort of the, the prosperity that God has ordered comes into play. There are certainly exceptions to that. There are those who inherit fabulous wealth. There are those with very discreet and unique marketable talents that may be able to gain immense wealth as a, by ex- exhibiting those discrete talents, but that is not the mainstay. And yet, think about our day and time where uh, media and entertainment is so ubiquitous and how many people are enamored with gaining wealth through some means that is usually only reserved for those with a very, very narrow and discreet talent or ability that most people don't have. So the wisdom of Proverbs says it's a steady hand. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. So it's just a very practical and yet very wise statement about faithfulness and diligence in our work. 
day by day by day. That's uh, Proverbs 13, verse 11. Proverbs 14, 23. In all toil there is profit, but mere talk only leads to poverty. In all toil there is profit. There is benefit. There is value in all manner of work. Think about how, you know, the the comment about we live in more of an entitlement society, an entitlement mindset, and, you know, that contrast with this this particular proverb, this wisdom statement, where it says, in all toil there is profit, because, you know, we're likely to think more along the lines of, you know, there's only certain kinds of work that I think are going to be worth my time. You know, we aren't going to want to pursue anything that, you know, is not going to, pay off in the way, or it's not, you know, we're going to get bored, or it's not going to really strike our fancy. I mean, think about the, the, the nature of how work as a, as a principle or as a part of life has shifted from, this is just what we do. This is, I mean, I've got to go out and work and plow the fields and make sure I bring in a harvest when it's time for harvest. We'll talk about that in just a few minutes, to, I really want to do something because, yeah, I don't, I don't want to do that. I, I'm going to spend you know, I'll spend months and months and months not working until I find what I really, really, really like. I mean, it's just a total reversal of, of mindset there. But Proverbs would say, in all toil, there's profit. There's value in work. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. So this is just really a, a, you know, a, an encouragement to us that the ways that the, the Lord has uniquely gifted us and skilled, given us skills in certain areas, that we are to put those to work faithfully and diligently. And, in, you know, in our society, that tends to lead to um, recognition and remuneration and advancement economically, generally speaking. Proverbs twenty-eight nineteen: whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. So again, it's a very basic, practical principle about the, the faithfulness of just daily work. He'll have plenty of bread, the one who works. Now these passages, again, they, they tie virtue and righteousness in with the value of work. Um, They provide very practical um, action to consequence types of of formulas for us to just acknowledge and recognize and be reminded of. But this is contrasted with this tragic, almost comedic kind of figure in Proverbs, uh, the sluggard. And when I say kind of a tragic, comedic kind of figure. I mean, there's some, there's no, there's no shortage of sort of sarcasm or sort of hyperbole to, to make the point of, of the folly of the slugger, of the, slugger. The, these verses that we'll look at, we'll see them. But just a couple to kind of put this in our minds, kind of paint the picture for us. I mean, Proverbs 26, 13 says this, the sluggard says, there is a line in the road, a line is in the open square. So it's like the, the boy who cried wolf, except in this case, it's the sluggard who doesn't want to get out of bed and go to work because there might be a lion out there. There might be dangers for me to go. So the very next verse, 26.14 says, As the door turns on his hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. 
Now, I'm just going to go ahead and give all of us a little bit of a pass. I think that there are moments in our lives, in our days, in our time where we can be like doors on hinges in our beds just to recoup. So I just want to make sure <laughs> that everybody is, you know, this is a balanced kind of uh, uh, message where we can work ourselves into poor health. We can, we can over-invest ourselves and not get appropriate rest. And sometimes we do need to you know, recoup. But this is more of a, a sarcastic note here. This is, this is you know, comparing the sluggard to like a door that just, uh, yeah, no, I'm going to go lay back down. I might get up. I might, oh, no, I'm going to lay back down. It's really sort of got some humor, some sarcasm to it. That's what I mean by it's, this is a comedic figure, but a very tragic figure in Proverbs. And when you look at just the simple Merriam-Webster definition, it's a fine definition for sluggard. It's a habitually lazy person. The idea here is this is someone who is persistent in their sloth and their laziness. Now, I would say that all of us, if we look at these Proverbs together, we will find ourselves in them at any given point in time. So this is really identifying someone or the kind of person who sort of persists in these areas of folly and and sin um, as a a matter of habit, as a matter of lifestyle. But I think it's helpful for us to see ourselves, to look at ourselves, to reflect upon ourselves and recognize that, you know what? If you looked at the entire profile of my life, I think that most people would not necessarily characterize me as a full-blown sluggard, but in these particular areas, I'm certainly, I have a tendency to manifest the characteristics of a sluggard. In the same way that we are redeemed and we are saved and we stand before God completely righteous in Christ, do we not still, at times in our sin, manifest characteristics of one who is not redeemed? So the same principle kind of applies here as we look at this, this, uh, this character in Proverbs of the Sluggard. I don't want us to be too quick to, to sort of absolve ourselves because you know, we're faithful, diligent workers. We need to really try to identify these areas where we might be manifesting characteristics of the sluggard. So a I, I, uh, few different uh, ways to kind of break this down, this looking at the sluggard's character. Uh, the first thing we could say is that he's, he doesn't, he doesn't begin things. He, he will not begin things. This is the procrastination quality. Proverbs 6, 9 to 11, sort of gives us a, a picture of this, about his procrastination, his unwillingness to just get started, to get going. Proverbs 6, verse 9 to 11, How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? And of course, the sort of the mocking tone of the response of the sluggard. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And then it says, And poverty will come upon you like a a robber, and want like an armed man. So just this idea of not even getting started with what needs to be done. This idea of, of persistent procrastination. Derek Kidner, I thought, summed this up really well. He says, when we ask him how long and when, we are being too definite for him. He doesn't know. All he knows is his delicious drowsiness. All he asks is a little respite, a little, a little, just a little. 
He does not commit himself to a refusal. So he doesn't say, I'm not going to do anything. But he deceives himself by the smallness of his surrenders. So by inches and minutes, his opportunity slips away. Isn't that good? That's a good insight. So the sluggard, by nature, tends to not really get started with things that he or she should probably get started with. This idea of procrastination or putting things off. And really, with the presumption, the prideful, arrogant presumption that I will get to it. There's a self-deception that's implied here. It's not just willful putting something off. It's putting it off, but, but convincing yourself that there'll be time for this. I'll get to it, is the idea. Well, not only does he not tend to begin things, but he certainly doesn't finish things. The slugger doesn't finish things. So he might get started with something, but he's apt to not finish it. It's another sort of flip side to this. Proverbs 12, 27, whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. This is an interesting passage. There's a little bit of a, uh, uncertainty about the interpretation of this. It, it could be interpreted based upon um, the actual language and grammar here. It could be interpreted as not getting started. Uh, it could, this, this, this verse could support the prior point of not getting started with something, but but uh, it also could be referred to not, not finishing something. So the idea would be that even though the sluggard manages to trap something or kill something for his food, he just doesn't get around to preparing it and it spoils or it goes bad. I mean, it's, just, it's like he still doesn't eat. He just doesn't get around to finishing the task uh, is the idea here. Proverbs... 19.24, and Proverbs 26.15, they're sort of uh, similar passages, but this really uses hyperbole, it uses sarcasm to, to really drive home the point. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. I mean, that's how bad off the sluggard is. He can only get his hand down to the plate, but he's just too tired or too preoccupied or too whatever to even lift it back up to eat his food. And really, this is just the, to give the, the idea that, that it's not always that uh, a person who is gripped in sloth is someone who, who never starts anything. It could also be characteristic of someone who managed to get something started but has a habit of not finishing the task, not, not f- completing the task. And, you know, the Proverbs 26.15 kind of gives you a little bit more of the reason why he just can't manage to get... The, the food up to his mouth once he reaches down to the dish. It says it this way, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. So again, just a little biting sarcasm there to, to make the point about this characteristic of a sluggard who just will start a lot of things maybe, but never finish much of anything. Now, there's no need for any of you to be thinking about projects at home or anything like that. I, I feel like that we need to carve out that whole category of things that you've maybe started and haven't finished. I think that somehow that's, that's not applicable here, right? Can we, can we carve that out? No. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, wow. 
<laughs> nice. Well done. So, a sluggard. He won't begin things, or he might just not get around to finishing things. Another characteristic is he will not face things. The biggest thing he doesn't face is reality, but let's just kind of break this down a little bit. Um, in this, under this idea, this concept of not facing things, uh, the sluggard tends to believe his own excuses. I mean, he actually tends to believe himself when he says these things. Again, there's another verse in Proverbs that refers to this line in the street, but Proverbs 22.13 really... You know, the sluggard is now convincing himself of the actual danger. The prior passage that kind of points out the folly and the comedic folly of this sluggard who just, who just references that there might be a line in the street, there might be a line in the square. Well, Proverbs 22, verse 13 says, The sluggard says, There is a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. So it's not just that there's a threat out there. It's that my life will be taken from me. You don't understand. No one understands how much risk will come to me if I get out and do the work before me. Because he believes his own excuses. He rationalizes his foolish sloth. He, 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 he thinks through and rationalizes his lack of diligence and his lack of effort and his lack of work. Proverbs 26.16 The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. So when we talk about this, we're not just talking about physical effort. We're not just talking about an issue of, you know, willpower or stamina or, you know, just uh, some people are more, are more wired to, to be more diligent or to engage in more detailed effort-based work or whatever, however we want to kind of, you know, carve out excuses here. This gets at the heart of the matter. This gets at the mindset that could be in play here. And that is that, that the sluggard not just, doesn't just know how to make excuses, but they rationalize them. And they, and they rationalize them because they think that they're wiser. They think that they're coming from a place of wisdom here. And the sluggard, this is no surprise, habitually chooses the easy path. He won't face reality. He will not face reality. And what we're talking about here is not just a failure to do a task when the task needs to be done, and so there might be some kind of momentary consequence. You know, you might miss the flight, or you, know, you might get a deduction on your paper that you turn in late, or whatever it might be. This particular proverb really points out this, this tragic nature of of habitually, of, of creating or developing a habit of always preferring the easier path and what this could result in. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 4. The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. Now this, this term autumn really could also be translated the cold season. And the, uh, the implication here is that, is that the sluggard doesn't want to get out and do the plowing work when it's intemperate weather. Now here's the problem with that. It completely denies the inevitability of the seasons and the association of the seasons with how things are plowed, sowed, and harvested. 
in an agrarian culture. It's like a complete denial of that, that inarguable, in a, unavoidable reality. The fact of the matter is, is that in this particular climate, in this particular type of agrarian culture, you would plow during the cold rainy season when the ground is softened by, softened by the rains and you would, do, you would prepare the soil basically so that you could then sow seed in the soil so that then when the proper season comes around for harvest, there's something growing there to harvest. If you are dependent upon the fruit of the ground for your food, it's the implication here, and you just decide that I'm not going to do the hard work at the time when it has to be done, then the result here is that he's going to seek at harvest and have nothing. It's a complete habit of choosing the easy path and not facing reality. Because the slugger doesn't face reality. He doesn't face things. And that really gets at what the heart issue is. It's not just habits or practices. It's really someone who is deluded and self-deceived. And they think they're wise, but they're not. They think that they're wiser than seven men who can answer sensibly. This is an extreme degree of folly and self-deception. And then habitually choosing this easy path, so much so that it's a denial of just the actual atmospheric, physical realities in the world that you're occupying. That's how serious this gets. And that's why... You know, you can laugh and we can kind of make even make fun of of ourselves and have a little self-deprecating humor about, you know, starting projects at home and not finishing them. But the real tragedy here is that the sluggard who, who is persistent in their sloth is really another type of fool in Proverbs who ends in, whose, whose, whose end is destructive. It's even deadly. I mean, what happens if you don't have food? I mean, the implications are stark. And so this gets to the the final characteristic here. He will not begin things. He will not finish things. He won't face things. And he will suffer deeply. The slugger will suffer deeply. Like I said, I've already kind of alluded to this in this last verse. But the sluggard suffers spiritually suffers internally as much as he would suffer externally, as much as he would suffer by not having food when it was time to harvest. There's nothing there. He suffers internally as well. He is a restless person, a discontented person. Proverbs 13.4, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. So the person who is like a door on hinges just flipping over in the bed. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little more rest, that's all I need. It, it, you would get the sense that they're, they're getting all they want. They're getting all they desire. I mean, they're getting to just mail it in every day. They're getting to rest and sleep and have this life of leisure. But the reality is, is that the sluggard has a soul that is craving something and not really getting that satisfaction. There's a restlessness there. Proverbs 21, 25 through the first part of 26 kind of echoes this a little more poignantly. The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves. 
So this image that we might have of the sluggard is someone who just kind of is meandering through life, not really caring about anything. This really describes a different kind of heart, and it's a heart that's suffering. It's a, it's a soul that is in real torment. There's a restlessness and a deep discontentment there. He's, he's helpless. There's a helplessness to the sluggard. Verse uh, Chapter 15 of Proverbs, verse 19. The way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. There's a, there's a, a helpless condition of the sluggard because his, his ways and his habits and his practices and his self-delusion gets him caught up in thorns. He gets trapped in really the, the folly of his own actions and his own thinking, and he becomes helpless. He's like an animal, a, a small animal that gets caught up in a thistle and can't get out. And the more you churn and the more you writhe back and forth, the more desperate the situation becomes, the more helpless he becomes. He is destructive. There's a destructive nature in the sluggard. Again, caution here. We can't view this type of character as one who is just sort of, you know, out to lunch and not really getting the importance of work. No, there's a destructiveness to this. Proverbs 18, verse 9. Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. In other words, someone who doesn't do their work well or diligently, the implication here is they're working for someone and it's costing someone something. And if you just carry that out and apply it in various contexts, I mean, think of someone who has a job and them doing their job diligently and faithfully, there's other systems or dependencies or people or whatever in the process that are depending upon them for things to work right. Think of people on an assembly line of an automobile manufacturer and then not doing some safety feature correctly and then there's a massive failure of a you know airbag system or something and then there's recalls and people are hurt. I mean, you can just imagine. Draw these applications out as far as you want. But the fact of the matter is, is that Proverbs would call us and caution the slugger to say, we're not just talking about something that might, you know, might make you a beggar for your food. This has a destructive outcome, potentially. Because they're concerned about uh, the work ethic of others. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting dynamic in a classroom to see how those groups form and to see what happens. It's yeah, because it brings you, know, you want you want your grade dependent upon someone else's lack of work ethic. Yeah. So it's destructive, and then and there's a uselessness that's characteristic of the sluggard, and this really applies to their impact on other people or an employer, for example. Uh, Proverbs 10, verse 26. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes. In other words, not a pleasant experience. So is the sluggard to those who send him. This is, this is the picture of someone who really is just a useless annoyance, an irritant to anyone who has to work with them in any way. There's a uselessness there. There, there, is a, there is a deep, profound suffering that is experienced by the sluggard. It is not this haphazard, happy-go-lucky, careless individual who just doesn't seem to get around to getting the task done that they need to get done. And Proverbs would want to put that picture in front of us in vivid, 
stark relief. So how do we help them? I mean, because we have a young nephew who, I mean, this is like him, and we offered him, you know, to, you know, to rent a room, but he couldn't bring his video games. We've offered, we've gotten him jobs that he lost. We've, you know, we we feel like we've, I mean, we prayed and prayed, but I mean, he's, you know, chosen to live in his car so that he can have mm. his games and like, we just keep praying. I mean, how do you find Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that, you know, there's, I mean, it sounds like you're, you're doing some things as all you can do in, in some respect. I would say that uh, depending upon the age of the person, I mean, if he's got a car, then that would say a certain, of a certain age. Um, I mean, I would say that, you know, at some point, the, the, the results of his own folly, you have to hope will be will become such a weight. I mean, if he's a believer, is he a believer, a professing believer? He, he claims the Lord. But, I mean, it's all that, you know, he talks about, oh, I want to be married, and it's like, yeah. you, you have to get a job. Yeah. I mean, you know, there, all you can do is bring, all you can do is bring the truth of Scripture to bear and counsel them, but certainly I wouldn't want to enable someone yeah, in no, their I folly mean, or anything yeah. like that. And, and you know, um, sometimes there's not much you can do aside from praying for them, sharing the gospel with them, and counseling them from the scripture. But it's always up to the Lord to change a heart and up to the person to work out their salvation with fear and trembling, which is actually my closing passage. So when we think about this, for, for the life of the believer, we are called to work in such a way that has, has connection to even our sanctification, Right? That we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And that as we equate the working out of our own salvation, as we equate that constant reflection and repentance and seeking to conform more and more to the image of Christ, to think Christ's thoughts after Him, it certainly encompasses the manner in which we go about the work that's before us. And carrying that out in such a way that is a testimony of Christ's work in us, right? That and, and really, uh, those who are beneficiaries of the gospel of Jesus Christ ought to be the most effective, diligent, faithful workers on the planet, as the Lord has providentially enabled them. I mean, obviously, there are people with health conditions and certain things that, you know, prevent them from doing certain kinds of work. But you know what I'm saying. I mean, in terms of the heart of the matter here, we as Christians should be the most effective, diligent, loyal, valued employees in the entire economy and the entire workforce as a general rule. So God help us to be faithful in working out our salvation with fear and trembling in the context of our actual work, right? Any final thoughts before we close in prayer? Good question. Um, is, um, we had an issue this past week with uh, just in parenting with um, forgetfulness. Kind of okay. So with, with our kids, trying to discipline, correct, train on that kind of stuff. Is, is, any, um, is this associated at all with that in terms of careless attitude is sort of being lazy or is that drawn too much out of this or um, how does that work because I, I mean it was the guilty trying to correct the, the little ones I mean I, I, I was in their shoes I, I 
parents always said you'll lose your head if it's not attached kind of situation. Yep. So I was very sympathetic, but I'm like, how do we discipline for this? You know, it's like I, there's certain things that they lose them, they can't do without them, so you kind of have to, anyway, just thoughts on that, just in terms of constructing the hard attitude. Yeah, I mean, all, all I can say is I, I kind of know the age of your kids, and um, it's a long road ahead. Uh, I don't know how else to say that, but um, and, and, I mean, I, I mean that. I don't mean that to be, you know, um, disingenuous at all. But um, I, I think in, in our parenting, you know, um, I mean, I'll just confess to you. I mean, I've got a daughter who's almost 20 years old in college, and I've got a son who's going to be 16 this year and is a sophomore in high school. And we're still questioning, trying to figure out when do we put the hammer down? When do we ease up? When do we allow for, I mean, are we trying to, are we expecting growth and maturity to happen on our timetable? Uh, it's just, it's a constant sanctifying process for us and a work of God in us to kind of sort some of that out. And so I would just say that you're, you're continually bringing the truth of God's word to bear, but always trying to be mindful of the slow, gradual nature of of maturity in the life of, of children, it's over. It's a it's a marathon deal, and um, and it's hard to know how much is how. It's hard to know when, in in the in the development of children, when something is really more about their immaturity, or it's becoming more and more about a point of defiance and resistance. I mean, it's all tied to sin nature and the corruption of the of the flesh and the fall and all that. But there are limitations that our children have cognitively and developmentally as they're growing. I don't, I don't know exactly how to sort that out other than just through God's grace and wisdom and patience and a little bit of trial and error and knowing that they're, right now they're made of rubber and so a lot of stuff bounces off of them. And, they're gonna, and by the way, they're going to forget a lot of the stuff that you do right now anyway. So you know, this whole idea about you're going to ruin your kids or scar them for life, Man, you got to do a lot of bad stuff for that to happen. The stuff that you guys are doing, not won't won't, ha- won't have that effect. I mean, that's that's from a that's from my PhD work that I did in uh, armchair parenting. Um, I don't know. Any other parents have any words of wisdom that you want to? We have a, a similar. I mean, one that forgets a lot, and just as we can, we let her suffer the consequences of that. You know. Um, and I mean, we're I mean, we're I mean, I was very interested to hear what you had to say because I'm, I'm like we're dealing with the same thing. But is laziness wrapped up in it at all? Like, I'm, I didn't mean. I think it is, and I've been studying Deuteronomy 28 with them a lot, where it says <laughs> we're to be faithful to obey the voice of the Lord and careful to do all of His commandments. And we just talk about that a lot. Are you being faithful? That means that you're giving thought to what you're doing. You're not just reacting impulsively. You're not letting your impulses control you. You're giving thought. You're you're being faithful and careful. That means you're being intentional. And we've been talking about that for a while now. And you know, I, I see little bits of where she'll say, "I wanted to do this, but then I remembered I might get spanked if I do that, or so." You know, like, um, or she's left some things at home that she needed for school, and she's had to, you know, suffer the consequence of losing the teddy bear. For so that. you you approach it like you can't see what's happening actually inside their 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 neurological system. You know, you are, you're always going after the heart. But you also have to recognize that, I mean, cognitive development, I mean, it 
age like 24 before everything's kind of fully developed. I mean, you, it's a long road, man. I'm just telling you. So, you know, forgetfulness and kind of, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, I think that you can correct and shepherd through that, but you got to kind of temper your own expectations and have that inform what kinds of disciplinary actions you take based upon the knowledge that this is, this is going to be, I'm going to have to say these same things over and over and over again. And, you know, they may, I mean, I've often, I've often missed the mark with my own kids um, because I've, I've ascribed what is, what I think is a, uh, a, a point of just defiance in their heart and in hindsight and in reflection, it might not necessarily have been. You know, it might have been that they literally just didn't think about it or forgot. And I'm like, there's no way, because I said it over and over again. I told you, I remind you, know, and I'm just, and that becomes more about me. That becomes more about my own anger and my own, you didn't do what I wanted you to do. And so that's why I'm saying this parenting thing, it's about our sanctification more than anything else, I think. So.